My name's Polly, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. I hope I don't put you to sleep. You just ate. So, by God's grace, a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I have a... Thank you. Thank you. Stay sober another month and a few days, and I'll have 24. Um... I have a home group, and that's Monday night Seal Beach Speakers Meeting, and I have a sponsor, and her name is Dottie H. And those are the things that I need to be a member in good standing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like to thank Judy for inviting me to come. This has been great. I'd like to thank Patricia. We had the best time. We went to her house yesterday afternoon, and then we ended up going over to Doug and Jeannie's for dinner and having the committee, and that's been that's been super. And... Uh, I'm very blessed, and I have two women in Ohio that I sponsor, and I'm staying with Deborah, so that's good. And and Pixie, that's the one that Patricia was talking about with the peas and the peas and the peas and peas and the peas and peas. So, I mean, it's like if anybody's got any problems and any insecurities and you're feeling a little bad about your name, I want you to come and see the three of us. Okay? Polly Pistol. Now, you know, that's... It sounds like a hooker that's, you know, walking the streets down there. I don't know what Pixie Pickett's and Patricia Prickett is, but I'm telling you, we are just like, you can't, you're tongue-tied saying all this stuff. So God's got a great sense of humor. So we just want to help you out if you've got any sensitivity with your name, you know, so that we can help you get over that. And uh, I don't know, when I was a kid, you know, being named Polly, I mean, I didn't even have the pistol then, and uh, and I was very, I mean, I hated that. You know, it's Polly wants a cracker and Polly Wally doodle all the day. I mean, you know, it's just, and then you add pistol to it, you know, it's just like there's just something, you just have to have a sense of humor if you're going to walk around planet Earth with a name like that. So it's like God's, you know, God's just got a sense of humor, and uh, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I had the privilege, what's been so fun <clears throat> about this conference is I had the privilege, I guess it's been about two years ago, of talking at the Ohio Woman to Woman. And that's when we, I mean, we were in bunk beds camped out in the woods. And this was primitive. You guys would have really been proud of us. <laughs> this was, yeah, but, but noise. <laughs> this was rough of it. And, uh, we had a great time, and what's fun is is that you get the opportunity to do that. And then as everybody started walking in last night at the dinner, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know these people. So stay sober. Get around. Alcoholics Anonymous is everywhere. And if you're new in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you have just landed and the most wonderful organization you can possibly imagine. I'm sure you think your life is over. But let me just tell you that it is so good, and what's in store for you is so fantastic. So please, please keep coming back. It's just so fun. I mean, you just come, and you get to go places, and Judy asked me back. I mean, I don't know what was happening to you before you found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but people were not asking me back. And that's, you know, what a deal. What a deal. Um <clears throat> I want you to know at 23 years of sobriety, 
that I am busier in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous than I have ever been. I sponsor more people than I have ever sponsored, and I'm into more service than I've ever been into. And the reason is, is that 23 years of sobriety, I have so much more to lose. I absolutely love my life. I love it. I was listening to Larry, and boy, what a way to start the day, you know, to just get all revved up. And, you know, he, you, you can tell you're a coach. You must get those guys just going, you know. It just felt so good to be revved up this morning, and that's what I love. I love I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm here to tell you, I'm the kind of person, if it weren't fun, I couldn't have stayed. I love it. I love the life that I have today. I love the life that I have as a result of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. The really sad thing is that I see a lot, and it's really very, very sad, is I see people leave the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because of the great life. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me. And uh, today, I just want, I just want to be the very best member of Alcoholics Anonymous I can be. It's my tribute to the God that I love so much to just go do the deal. Just go do the deal. Uh, I am living, breathing proof that you can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and not come from alcoholic parents. I do not come from the disease of alcoholism. The only person they say, take an alcoholic's family tree and give it a shake and an alcoholic will fall out. If that's the case, it could have been my grandfather, only because he's the only person who drank. But I'm here to tell you that he never drank like I drank. So I don't know if he was alcoholic or not. And he was my mom's father. And whether he was or not, I don't know. I'm, I'm just being willing to bet that he just drank. But um, my father died when he was 60 years old, and he died with 60 years of sobriety. My mother is 82 years old, and she has 82 years of sobriety. And I will assure you that my mother is not the least bit impressed with my 23 years of sobriety. <laughs> At all. In fact, she is so unimpressed with my 23 years of sobriety. She lives in this little bitty town, and only Benoit would understand this. She lives in this little bitty town in Texas that if you shut your eyes, you'd miss it. Going down the freeway, or no freeway, no freeway. <laughs> Going down the road, no freeway by this town. And uh, the only thing that my mother's scared to death of is she so afraid that somebody in that little town's going to find out I'm an alcoholic? She's terrified of that. So thank God for a set of traditions because I know if I go in that town and I let anybody know I'm an alcoholic, that uh, I'm going to break my mother's anonymity. And uh, you taught me that. Now, I, you know, it's like when I got sober, I was just like, oh, gosh, this is so fabulous. And I want my parents involved and come see what's going on in Alcoholics Anonymous. And my mother's just standing there, you know, in her Texas way. If you'd never drank, that would have never happened to you. So believe me, she's not impressed. So uh, if you're out there waiting for your parents to get impressed because you're sober, just stay sober and go be the best daughter or the best son you can. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. 
And I'm really grateful that you've taught me how to do that because uh, I'm an only child and today I have an aging parent. And because of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not about what she does for me. You've taught me it's about what I do for her. And as long as I remember that, uh, my life's pretty good. Because I don't know, I, I, was my, I was an only child, totally loved, cherished all my life. And I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I could have sworn to you that nobody loved me. That's how I felt inside. Now, I just finished reading this. Maybe a lot of you around here have read this book called How It Worked. It's about Clarence Snyder's life. There's a book out that, well, the author starts out, and he says, there seems to be two characteristics found in every alcoholic. Either you're loved too much or not enough. Well, if that's the case, then I was, the only abuse I've ever had is that I was loved too much. That's the only abuse I've ever had. But I got sober in treatment, and, you know, when you get sober in treatment, you go to group therapy and all that kind of stuff, and we'd go to, we'd go to these groups, and then I would hear of these things, these horrific things that happened to little boys and girls. And, uh, and I could say, well, gosh, I know why you're an alcoholic, but why am I an alcoholic? Because, you see, none of those things had happened to me. If anything, all I was given was love. But the problem was, is I never could feel that love. And by God's grace in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I know what the problem is today. Because you see, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells what's wrong with me. It tells me that I am suffering from a spiritual malady. And it tells me that if I am suffering from a spiritual malady, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that I am separated from the sunshine of the Spirit. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that if I am suffering from a spiritual malady, nothing is enough. There is no way you can love me enough. There's no way you can give me enough. There's no way you can do enough. For a person who is suffering from a spiritual malady, nothing is enough. And I'm so grateful today because of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, because it's from this program that you introduced me to a God. And through that God, I found out what it is that I need to do through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because you gave me that God. And as long as I'm busy about taking care of God's kids, I feel pretty good. Because, you see, I have a spiritual malady, and there is no way that I can sit around and think about and go to therapy and do all this stuff and figure out what's wrong with me and get better. The only thing that's going to make a person like me get better is go do something for you. Because, you see, I suffer from a spiritual disease. And the only way that I can recover from a spiritual illness is to go take that, go reach out my hand and ask what it is I can do for you. Because the more I want to do for you, the better I feel about me. I don't know why that works. You know, it's like somebody said, how do you have a good relationship? It's really easy. If I think more about Dave than I think about me, we have a good relationship. It's when I think more about me than I do about Dave that I'm never happy. Whenever I'm thinking about me, I'm not happy. God has given me a lot of women to work with. Thank God. It's not their blessing. It's my blessing. Because what they do is they call me and get me out of me. I am my own worst enemy. When, I was, when my AA sponsor used to say, right on your mirror that you're looking at the problem. 
And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says most of our problems are of our own making. Thank God. Because, you see, if my problems are of anybody else's making but mine, then you've got to change for me to get better. I'm screwed if you're my problem. Because in order for me to get better, you've got to change. Thank God I'm the problem. Because with the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts, I got a shot at being truly happy in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. I've known about God all my life. I grew up in Texas. I grew up Southern Baptist. Now, I don't know if there's any Texans around here. I guarantee you, Benoit knows about that. And I grew up right where they took the Bible belt and gave it an extra pull. So I know about, I knew about God. The only thing is, is that I have a disease of perception. I was listening to that, that lineup that you've gotten, this man from California named Clancy. Uh, I don't know if Beth has the tapes over there, but Clay, yes, yeah, she's shaking her head. If you have never heard the tape of Clancy's called Alcoholism, a Disease of Perception, I highly encourage you to get that tape. Because you see, what's wrong with me is I have a disease of perception. You give me a set of information, it goes in my head, it takes a walk around, and what comes out doesn't even resemble what went in. (laughs) And that's what happened in these Baptist churches. Do you know my mother never heard what I heard? But I heard this stuff, and I heard that this God was really mean and he was going to get you. I don't know what I ever thought when, you know, that we sing these little songs like Jesus Loves Me and... So I don't know what I thought about that, but what I would hear is these preachers would get out behind the podium just like I'm behind this morning or this afternoon, and they'd slam their fist on the, te- on the podium, and their faces would get red, and their veins would stick out, and they'd lean into the congregation, and they'd say things like, if you've thought it, you've done it. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I was an alcoholic in the making, and I thought a lot. So, you know, I used to just think that there's just no way I'm ever, ever going to be good enough for God. And so God became something that I was very, very fearful of. And I remember my mother saying, we lived in a God-fearing home. And, you know, today I live in a God-loving home. And what I had to do was just change my perception of God. And it's through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that you have given me that. And uh, I told you about my name, so I've got a God that's got a fantastic sense of humor. And I love that. I love that. I find, and you know, it's helped because I was just kind of uh, one of these little, somebody would always come up to me and say, Polly, I would have just loved to drink with you. No, you wouldn't have. I'm like dull scary, shy, all that stuff. I was absolutely terrified. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that we are people driven by a hundred forms of fear, and that's me. I was absolutely terrified of everything. And today, thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I still have a lot of fears, but believe me, it's way, way better than it used to be. I kind of liked what Larry said about the tickets. I'm not, not fearful, but I'm just better. He says, now you heard that he didn't 
not have any tickets. He just doesn't have many tickets or many points. <laughs> it's not gone, but it's a whole lot better than it used to be. And for that, I'm truly grateful. <clears throat> when I was 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer. So I want you to know that Daytona, that Daytona, Dayton, Ohio, is not a new place to me. I am very, very, very familiar with Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It was a B-52 base back in the 60s. And uh, we had friends that were stationed here. We happened not to be here. We happened to be at Loring Air Force Base and Plattsburgh Air Force Base, but we had friends that were at Wright Path. And uh, so I've been here many, many times. It's just been about 30 years ago. So uh, it's really neat to be back. But uh, at 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer. Now, I am one of these people that has never, ever wanted to be responsible for myself. And if the truth were known, I want you to know that I think men were put on earth to take care of women. That's what they're, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. I have never, ever wanted to take care of myself. And I am a person, now in Texas, we call it puffing up. You know how you just kind of puff up? And somebody says, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> And then it becomes your responsibility to find out what's wrong with me. And if you don't, you don't love me. My life was always your responsibility. You were supposed to make me happy. I love what Clancy says. Clancy says that we're people who have to be treated special just to, just to be average. And if you don't treat us special, then we feel rejected. I understand that. I can still hear my mother saying, Polly, wherever did you get that idea? Nobody said that to you. But you see, I, if, if there was a way to make myself a victim or feel sorry for myself and make it your fault, I was going to do it. So what does a person like that do? They marry a sack pilot. Who's, and those of you who live in Dayton, Ohio, know what a sack pilot is. And no, they're not around very much. It was so funny. We were sitting around one day talking and my daughter-in-law, Kelly, and she was, her mother was a single parent. We were talking about uh, her having to be brought up by her mother because she was a single parent. And my son says, well, mother was a single parent. And I looked at James and I said, James, I was not. You had a dad. And he says, oh, come on, Mom. Dad was never home. And you see, that, I mean, I was way sober when that was brought to my attention. You know, it's just like I didn't even get it. So here I marry a man who is not going to be around. And I'm going to have to learn to be responsible for myself. But let me tell you something. I loved the military. I absolutely loved it. And I think it's one of the reasons I love Alcoholics Anonymous so much. It seems like I just moved from one community to another. Because it's so similar. Because, I mean, we took care of each other. I mean, we, had, we helped each other have babies, and we, had, we did all this stuff just like we do in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I love that. I love that feeling of us. We, you know, let somebody get sick. I don't know. Larry didn't talk about when his wife died and he was widowed but, a lot. But, you know, just let something, something really tragic happen in life. And I'm sure Benoit can tell you about it when she lost Jim. And, man, that's when we're at our best.
We are at our best. When something happens, we are there. And it's so fabulous. It's so fabulous. And I love that. I love, that's what I love about us most. Just, just, well, we like drama. Just let something really happen and we're there. We're there with the food and all the stuff. <laughs> but uh, here I marry this man, and I'm this little 18-year-old, and I'm not educated. I've never been to college, and, and I, I always have felt like I was stupid. And I don't know how, how I've done this, but I've, always, I'm mar- I've been married twice, and I marry these men that are so smart. I don't know if it's just so I can see how much I can intimidate myself or what, but uh, my first husband was really smart. Dave, I'm married to a computer scientist now who is a member of Menza. And, I mean, I can't even hardly pronounce it. And yet I've always had this insecurity of not being smart, of just feeling like I was so stupid. Now, one of the things I am convinced of is that when you get sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you can do and be anything you want to do and be. So I guess an education just wasn't that important because I didn't go do it. So I guess maybe I just didn't have the desire to do it anyway. But the truth then, the truth was, is that I just let people intimidate me. Any way I could make myself feel like a victim, I would do it. Whatever it was, I, I just loved feeling sorry for myself. I absolutely loved it. And so here I was, this little 18-year-old woman, or girl, and I'm, here we are at a morning coffee, very similar to what we're, you know, we are now, and this lady's standing up behind the podium, and she's the base commander's wife. And she's going to tell all us little second lieutenant's wives what we're going to do to enhance our husband's careers. And she's going to tell us how to have the right dinner parties, how to wear the right clothes, how to do the right things, the right gloves, how to drop your card in the bowl when you go to some whatever. And I was terrified. I thought there's absolutely no way I can do this. And somewhere along the way, I took a drink of alcohol. I don't remember it being a big deal. I just remember taking a drink of alcohol. And I really didn't even know what alcohol had done for me until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you see, I wasn't looking to be a party girl. I've had more fun sober than I ever had drinking. I just was too scared. But I didn't even know what had happened. But what alcohol did for me is in the doctor's opinion. Alcohol gave me that feeling of ease and comfort. It just helped me make it through the day. Just help me make it through the day. And it seemed like if I took a drink of alcohol, I wasn't so scared. If I took a drink of alcohol, I could nod in the right places, I could laugh in the right places, and I just didn't feel so stupid. And that's what alcohol did for me. And I think that's the thing that is so difficult for people who just don't understand why we do the things we do. Because alcohol does something for me. It just does something for me. We were stationed at a place called Loring Air Force Base, Maine. Very, very tippy-top of Maine, so I know what it's like to be cold. 
I know what harsh winters are like. And uh, I've got these two little boys. I don't have a clue how to be a parent. I don't know how to be a parent. And um, I can't send these kids out to play because it's 50 below zero. And these two little boys are driving me crazy. And I'm having a nervous breakdown every 20 minutes. And I end up going to an Air Force doctor and he says, take these. <clears throat> and from 1962 until 1977, I drank alcohol and I took Librium and Valium and Secanol and Nemutol. And I guarantee you, if you drink alcohol and take those kind of drugs, you are not an active alcoholic. <laughs> I call myself a couch potato alcoholic. I did my dying on my living room sofa. I just laid there and watched soap operas and listened to Joan Baez sing the blues. <clears throat> There's a chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and sometimes I think that chapter just doesn't get enough attention. And that chapter is called The Family Afterwards. And uh, I believe with all my heart that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic is affected by the disease of alcoholism. And I believe that the disease of alcoholism traumatizes our children. And the disease of alcoholism traumatized my children. And um, I have a son who's recovering in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've had the opportunity to hear James talk. And James doesn't talk about his mom being a couch potato alcoholic. James talks about being a little boy. And that little boy sees his mother passed out, but he doesn't know that she's passed out. That little boy is gripped with terror, and he walks back and forth in front of that sofa, absolutely terrified because his father is gone and he's certain that his mother is dead. That's the disease of alcoholism. That's what the disease of alcoholism does to our children. <clears throat> I'm so grateful for the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober in Texas, and I guarantee you I got sober where people didn't care if they hurt your feelings, but they were worried about was saving your life. And uh, my first AA sponsor had been a Monsignor priest. And he had left the priesthood to marry a Taiwanian woman. And Frank was not afraid of hurting my feelings. And uh, when we got through with my fifth step, he looked at me and he said, Polly, I want you to go home. And I want you to look yourself in the mirror. And I want you to say to yourself, Polly, you are a child abuser. And I didn't want to say those things to myself. He says, you have abused your children. You have abused them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And you need to make amends to those boys. And I didn't know if I could do that. And uh, I remember hearing somewhere, you know, where you have, you know, you can't change the, you know, just have to accept the things you can't change. And I said, well, you know, Frank, maybe I just have to accept the things I can't change. And he says, no, I don't think so. He says, that prayer has three parts to it. The second part is the courage to change the things you can. And uh, he says, you're going to go to those boys, and you're going to tell them how sorry you are. And you're going to listen to them as they tell you what it was like for you to be their mom. And the only thing that you get to say is, I'm sorry that happened to you. You don't get to say this like well, you shouldn't feel that way. And uh, 
One of the things that I am so grateful for is strong sponsorship direction. And uh, sometimes it's really hard because if I sponsor someone, I give that same direction. It's really hard, but you see, I was the mom. And uh, these children had no choice. They were just there. And I was the mom. And that abuse was my fault. And I love what Bob E. says. Bob says that uh, all your problems have my name on it, but all your solutions have yours. So I can't fix what happened. I can only own what I did. Then it's going to be up to them to find their own journey. And the hardest thing that I've had to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is to accept that my sons have their own journey, that they have their journey. But I am so grateful for the direction that I have been given here. Because of all the things that have been said to me, my sons have said, Mom, we thought we were crazy until you told us. And I'm really grateful that I had people who said, you come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you get accountable and you get responsible. And you stay accountable and you stay responsible for the present and the past. And uh, by God's grace in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm grateful for that kind of sponsor direction. And it's not always easy to be accountable. But today I'm grateful for accountability. So the easier, softer way is really to suit up and show up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and just do the deal. Just do the deal. I'd like to tell you what happened. Uh, I didn't wake up one day and say, geez, I think I drink too much. And I'm not going to give you a big drunkalog, okay? Uh, I wish I had some really fun stories to tell you. But my, you know, my, my drinking, I slept through it, and you probably would have too. <laughs> so I don't have any great stories to tell about, uh, about my drinking. But I will tell you some of the things that brought me to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of times people say, well, Polly, did you drink much? And uh, I just want to tell you what I was drinking when I entered the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was drinking at least a quart of vodka a day, and I was taking a minimum of 20 pills. Now, I know that God's there because that's lethal. I didn't even know that until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I ended up in a treatment center. I had a car wreck right out where the Dallas Cowboys play football in Irving, Texas. And I totaled an automobile, called the police, told them my car had been stolen. And um, they came and got me. And I got taken to the Irving police station. And I got to see that look on the non-alcoholic space that just doesn't understand why we do the things we do. And this policeman looked at my husband and he says, why don't you just take her home and sober her up? And on the way home, he said, Polly, there's a treatment center and it's not far from our house and I wish you would go. And that night, I entered treatment for the first time. And this was not a fancy jitter joint. This was a county detox. And it was a seven-day detox. I entered this detox. And... Um, they started taking us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love the meetings. I love the laughter. 
I loved the camaraderie. I loved what was going on. But there was something down deep inside of me that said, Polly, people like you just don't become alcoholic. And uh, I love what Dr. Tebold says. Dr. Tebold says that there's two characteristics found in every alcoholic, defiant individuality and grandiosity. And my husband says, only an alcoholic can lay in the gutter feeling superior to those looking down on him. <laughs> and here I was. You know, people like me don't become alcoholic. And um, I loved what was going on in there, but I didn't think I was an alcoholic. And while I was in this treatment center, I had what we call in Texas a jitter house romance. You know, where sick falls in love with sick and you walk off into happy destiny. Well, we walked off into happy destiny for 57 days. And I was brought back into that treatment center more dead than alive. And I had reached that place in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization because I had been beaten up and numerous and sundry other things. And I knew what the problem was. The problem was sobriety. There was no way I could live inside my own skin sober. There was no way that I could live with myself and the mother I'd become, the daughter I'd become, the wife I'd become. There was just no way I could live with myself. And you see, when I talk about that tape, Clancy's Alcoholism, a Disease of Perception, Clancy talks about the disease of alcoholism. You know... I've been suiting up and showing up for over 23 years in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I haven't drank and haven't taken any of those funny pills. And I'm here to tell you that I have a disease called alcoholism. If alcohol were my problem, then treatment centers would send out well people. I have a disease called alcoholism. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that alcohol was but a symptom. I have to get down to the causes and conditions. And you see, laying in that treatment center, brought back in there, knowing, not knowing anything about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, because whatever I heard when I was in these rooms, I didn't hear it. I had just defined this disease. I couldn't live inside my own skin sober. I could not do it. I just didn't know that the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts would give me a psychic change and a spiritual awakening that will alter my life forever. I just didn't know that. But I knew there was no way I could live sober. And I left that treatment center, and I got a bottle of scotch, and I got a bottle of Valium and I checked into a motel. I don't think that there's anybody in this room that doesn't have an angel in your life. Someone that leads us to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe it's a spouse that says you can't live here any longer. Maybe it's a job that says you can't work here any longer. Maybe you're here because you've got a nudge from the judge. Or maybe you're here because you just somebody you saw the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous carved in somebody else's life. Whatever, somehow, some way, we're led into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had such a woman in my life, and I didn't, and she did not know anything about the disease of alcoholism, but she loved me. And she said that day that something came over her, and today I know that something was God working in my life through her. And she drove around until she found my car parked outside this motel, and I hadn't shut the door, and she pushed it open. 
and on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. Needless to say, that didn't take, because I was standing here this morning or this afternoon. <clears throat> but I need to tell you about the miracle of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the miracle of God. I believe with all my heart that I am a product of divine intervention. I don't believe that there's any other reason that I'm here but by God's grace. I don't believe that any of us are here except by God's grace. And if you look up grace in Webster's Dictionary, it says a gift unearned. I have done nothing more than anybody else to have the gift of sobriety. Absolutely nothing more. The only thing that's different is that I've accepted it. So many people come through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous and every person is given the same gift. It's just so many times they give it back. And I'm so grateful today that I have my gift of sobriety. I am so grateful for God's grace that he would look at a bunch of people like you and I and give us such a fantastic life. Such a fantastic life. And you know, the thing about it is, is I don't know that if you're like me, but when I first came here, I thought it was, you know, I was supposed to get a rose garden. After all, I'm sober. But you know, what I've been given is life and the ability to live life on life's terms. And being able to do that with some grace and dignity because you taught me how to do that. What I have been given in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is a set of values. I didn't come here with any values. And for that, I'm so grateful. I entered a treatment center because I got a little slip of paper from a Fort Worth judge that said I was a detriment to myself and others. I got a little 5150 when they took me to that hospital. And I got put in a psychiatric hospital for three days and uh, just long enough for my husband to obtain an order from a Fort Worth judge that said I was going to treatment. I was court committed to treatment. So people like me who don't become alcoholic had just been court committed to treatment. And uh, I entered that treatment center on April the 11th of 1977. And by God's grace in this program, I haven't had a drink since. <clears throat> in a vision for you, on page 164, it says that if we stay spiritually fit, that great events will come to pass. That's the great fact for us all. And I'd just like to take the time I have left to tell you about my great events that have come to pass. Um, I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I had a really good sponsor. And uh, my first sponsor was a man. I don't know whether that, you know, I don't have any things about that one way or another. I got exactly what I needed. And uh, Frank had been a priest, so he helped me through all these ideas I had about the Baptist church and he was willing to get into my face and tell me the truth, whether I wanted to hear it or not. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for Frank. He's in the big meeting in the sky now. And uh, for that, I'm so grateful. But he gave me a foundation that I will forever be grateful for. And uh, his deal was, 
Just go help somebody. Reach your hand out and go help somebody. And for that, I'm so grateful. And uh, when I was three years sober, I married another member of this fellowship. And uh, I'd known Dave since I first got sober. And uh, I'm here to tell you one of the things that I consider a responsibility as a member of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is my responsibility to be a good example of this program. Do you know I may be the big book, the only big book anybody ever reads? When I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's not what I was. You see, when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I just knew that if you would love me enough, I'd be okay. And I had to hit a bottom in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous behind relationships and sex that was just as devastating as the, as the bottom I had hit behind alcohol and drugs. I was not a good example of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was not a good example of the Institute of Marriage. I was not a good example. And today I believe that it is my responsibility to be a good example. This is a spiritual program. This program is about God working in our lives. And I was not that kind of an example. Today, I believe it is my responsibility. If I come to Dayton, Ohio, I am a married woman. I come here, I behave as a married woman. And I uphold the values of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm so grateful to do that today. But I did not do that when I first came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I was three years sober, I married another member of this fellowship, and uh, I'd known Dave since I was six months sober. So Dave knew all about me. In fact, Dave had sponsored a lot of the friends, had sponsored a lot of the men who had been my friends. And uh, so he probably knew more about me than I wanted him to know about me. And uh, Dave and I have often said, if we'd have known that we were going to get married, we'd have never told each other the things we told each other. And uh, Dave had just been an AA buddy. And we were friends for three years. And uh, when I was three years sober and Dave was four years sober, Dave looked at me and I got my first lesson in being able to see and touch unconditional love. Because Dave looked at me and he says, Polly, I'm in love with you, but you need to get something straight. I don't want to have an affair with you. I'm going to marry you. And uh, you see, something like that's not supposed to happen to somebody like me. And... uh, by God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, on October the 27th of 19, October the 27th, 2000, Dave and I celebrated 20 years of marriage in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm telling you what, that's a good, that's a great event for a couple of days. Really good news is uh, that I love him more today than I did 20 years ago. And uh, I'm one of those blessed women because I've got a really good man. I've got a really good man. And uh, I love what Angie says. She says that uh, Dave and I are committed to the same thing, and that's making me happy. <laughs> that's just wonderful. <laughs> In fact, Dave said to be sure and tell everybody that he sent his that he sends his best that he sent me. So, and that's 20 years later. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. 
But you see, let me just tell you, Dave and I didn't have a clue how to have a relationship. I am Dave's fourth wife. And as our Al-Anon friend Carol likes to tell Dave, and Dave, you're the only common denominator in all those marriages. <laughs> so Dave likes to marry a lot. Uh, since I am a member, we'll start right now, and I'll let you know that I am a very grateful member of the Fellowship of Al-Anon for 18 years. And, uh, and I am one of those that can just hang in there. Because <laughs> I was married for 22 years the first time. And, uh, you know, you just suffer through it. And, but you can see that Dave and I had no, we had absolutely nothing we did not know how to have a relationship. Both of us knew how to take a hostage, but nobody knew how to have a relationship. And uh, if you want a good relationship, then you go find somebody who's having a good relationship and do what they do. Because we didn't know how to do it. And just do what they do. And it first started with Frank. And he had married this Taiwanian woman after he had been a monsignor priest. And, uh, and he says, if you think you don't have any equipment to be in a relationship, I really don't have any equipment to be in a relationship. But what he told Dave and I is, he says, you and Dave plant yourself firmly in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, just like two oak trees, and nurture yourself with the steps and the traditions and the concepts of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, and what will happen is, is that you'll grow really strong. And like those two oak trees, one day you'll look up and you can't tell where one begins and the other one ends. And I'm telling you that's true. In fact, Dave and I are very monotonous. We even look alike. <laughs> the noise going, you do. <laughs> it's just, and I am so grateful for this relationship. I am so grateful that God has given me this. And uh, I have a beautiful Al-Anon sponsor in uh, four years ago, she lost her husband. And uh, Sally and Albert would have been married 50 years. And what's really funny is, is that if I'd go to a woman-to-woman -woman or something like that and Albert wasn't around, Sally would open her suitcase and she'd have all these love notes from Albert. I mean, they were so in love. And they were almost married 50 years. And I wanted what they had. And Albert used to say, you want what I have? You want what Sally has? Then you have to do what we do. He says, you have to learn the magic words. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Whoa. And so Dave and I picked up the magic words. You know, I have a, we got this man and, California by the name of Frank Honeycutt. If you ever get out there, he's the man. He's the man. And uh, Frank's the old man that hangs out down in Long Beach. And Frank always says, if you can't get sober in Long Beach, you can't get sober. And, uh, and he's kind of the man we follow around down there in our, in our group. And Frank's got this thing, and he says, darling, and he's from the South too, he says, you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And he says, if you want to be happy, then just don't need to be right. Just say you're sorry and get on with it. 
I'm grateful for that advice. Then Dave and I met this couple from Omaha. And uh, Dick and Peggy sat down one afternoon and took us through the traditions in relationships. What a concept. In California, we read every meeting, the traditions are to the group as the steps are to the individual. And Dave and I are a group. And Dave and I began to work the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in our relationship. When Dave and I had, were 16 and 17 years sober, and this was in 1993, uh, Dave lost his job. We got hit with that big aerospace layoff. And uh, somebody, we were sitting around talking last night, somebody was working for Burroughs and Unisys, and that's who it was. And uh, Dave says, you can't you know, feel picked on because 600 other people went with you. And, uh, but what happened was is that what we found out is the world was not looking for a 57-year-old computer scientist. And uh, our whole neighborhood was up for sale. We could not even give our house away. And uh, what was looking, you know, we looked around and we said, God, I, I said, if we don't fight, if you don't get a job soon, we're going to lose our house. And uh, I'm here to tell you that I, had, I really had my fist at God. How can this be happening? Don't you see how much service I am in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? Don't you see how many people I sponsor? And you see, I had the kind of ego that I'm sober, so good things are supposed to happen to me. And I'm looking around and I'm saying, foreclosure and bankruptcy and all those ugly things are supposed to happen to newcomers. Not to people who've been around for a while. And uh, what happened was, is that 16 and 17 years of sobriety, Dave and I got to experience foreclosure and bankruptcy. And I can tell you right now, I have never, ever been so humiliated. Because, you see, I'm one of these people that I was addicted to approval. What you thought of me was the whole deal. And I can remember Frank looking at me, and he's just such a loving man. He says, you know something, darling? What other people think of you is none of your business. But what you think of them, your very life depends on. And, you know, I got to take that 12-inch walk, you know, the 12-inch walk from your head to your heart. I'd heard it. I just didn't know it. And I got to find out what it's like to be able to suit up and show up with that kind of humility because I didn't understand it before. I was so humiliated. And in the, and in the seventh um, step in the 12 and 12, it says most humility is derived from humiliation. But I will tell you that there is life after foreclosure. There is life after bankruptcy. And Dave didn't work for two years, but uh, he's working now. And... Uh, It'll probably never be the same. He'll never make that same money again. But let me just tell you a wonderful lesson that we learned at a pretty old age. And that is that less is more. And uh, that what we've got, what happened was is Dave and I are just stronger for this experience. And what we ended up doing is we ended up being given a house. We just rent it, but it's twice as big as the house we were buying. And uh, Dave and I are on our knees every day. We're so grateful for that house. 
And so we feel like that it's God's house. And that if anybody needs a place to stay and they're just not quite making it, uh, they sort of end up at our house. And uh, we always got somebody living with us. Somebody's down and out. God just seems to put them there. As soon as one goes out, in comes another. We One just moved out, and Dave says, well, who do you think's coming next? And I said, I don't know. But uh, the room's getting ready to be cleared out. And uh, that's kind of the way we just started operating our lives, that it's God's house, so share it. And I'm grateful. I'd like to tell you really quickly about my two sons. When I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I was supposed to attend a function at my son's school. And my son said, don't you dare show up at my school because I am ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, my son wants what I have. My son called me up on the phone and he said, Mom, I want what you have. And uh, I'd like for you to know that my son James was 17 years sober on the 3rd of January. And that's a great event that's come to pass. And he's got a wife named Kelly, and Kelly is almost 12 years sober. So we've had a lot of fun as a sober family in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. My oldest son is not an alcoholic, and I can tell you, God, I've talked to Vinoy, I've talked to everybody about Russ, and you know, I just knew that I had the answer for Russ. The program of Al-Anon was Russ's answer, and I was going to get him in it or die. And uh, Russ, I've come to believe that that's not Russ's journey, and I had to let Russ have his own journey. And Russ was the kind of person that um, alcohol and drugs didn't work for Russ, so he was tormented. And I'm a person who has suffered a lot of depression, so I understood Russ, because I'm the kind of person that I would just get so depressed that I would hurt myself physically so that I wouldn't have to feel the emotional pain. And that's what my son would do. My son would cut on himself, and I had to watch my son being sober, try to take his life six times. And I thought, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't bear this. I can't stand this. And uh, the last time that my son tried to take his life, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And I was speaking, it was about 11 years ago, and I was speaking and my daughter-in-law called me on the phone and she said, uh, that my son was in the hospital one more time and put a pair of scissors in his stomach. And I just thought, and I was supposed to talk that next morning, and I just, I was so torn down I could hardly do that. And when I got through talking, this man walked up to me and he says, young lady, you and I need to talk. And we need to get into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we need to read the chapter, We Agnostics. And you need to know that God either is or he isn't. He is either all things or he's nothing. And what God does with his kids is none of your business. And that day I was able to release my son. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't take it back and take it back and take it back. But I was able to release him. And uh, my son had married a Catholic girl 13 years ago. But you see, when Russ's alcoholic mother, because Russ is who took care of me, and when she sobered up, what was a good Al-Anon to do but go marry another practicing alcoholic? And uh, when she sobered up, he had to get married again. And uh, 
He married Cheryl, and both of them came from alcoholic homes. And uh, Cheryl was a Catholic, and Russ had been married before. And uh, this past December, on the 28th of December, my son and his wife got to be married in the Catholic Church, and my son got to be initiated into the Catholic Church, and he found a path. And it is absolutely amazing. And it had nothing to do with me. He had his journey. It just wasn't my journey. And uh, see, today, all he needed was the same thing that I have. He just needed to belong. And once he belonged, he should have taken off. And uh, I want to tell you another story about Russ and Cheryl getting married. Um, when my ex-husband and I divorced, uh, we got remarried about at the same time. And uh, he married this really sweet woman. And uh, my ex-husband died two years ago. And I want to tell you, Larry was talking about how all this comes together in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. When Russ and Cheryl got remarried in uh, December, Paulette, my husband, ex-husband's widow, stayed at our house. That's the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's, that's the deal. That's how it works here. And I had so much fun, I'd just go around introducing her as my wife-in-law. It was, you know, it's like, this is like so fun. And, you know, it's like there was a little thing there because I'm Polly and she's Paulette. Amazing. Amazing. Russ has two little girls, Katie and Jessie. And, uh, you know, I was a very abusive parent. And I hurt my children in every way. But what the, big, what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me and a loving God is a second chance. So I'm here to tell you, because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am a dynamite grandma. And uh, Katie and Jesse come over to the house, and they live about 10 minutes from us. And they'll come in there, and, you know, they'll say, bye, Mom and Dad. They'll stay with me for days. They will stay as long as they can stay. And, uh, and we have fun. And you see, when I was a young mother... It was all about my house and what was going on and that the laundry be done and that this be done and that be done. But let me tell you what it's like as a grandma. All of that matters not. We sit down, and I'm so glad that Katie's changed her mind. We used to do Tarzan. For 999 times, we watched Tarzan. But now she's on The Wizard of Oz. Much better. But, you know, we sit there, and I'm present. I never could be present. And thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, you have taught me the greatest gift that I can give is me. That's the greatest gift. It's not about things. It's about being present. And I'm there. We sit and we watch it. And it's wonderful. And I'm grateful. That Katie whispered in my ear the other day, and she says, Grandma, you're my very best friend. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. May 23, 1993, a miracle happened in our family, and it was our first grandson, and his name is Ryan David Klinger Lee. And if you were in San Diego 
at Bill W.'s big family reunion. He was the main attraction. And uh, I just thought this kid had just been dropped from heaven. He was just so beautiful, and he's, he's got blonde, curly hair, and anytime anybody sees him, they say, oh, my gosh, Polly, he looks just like you. And I love that. And when Ryan was 18 months old, we got some devastating news. We found out that Ryan was profoundly deaf. And I want you to know I had my fist at God. And we were sitting around there and we were talking, how can this be happening to us? We really want this child. And you know, that's when you do these kind of things. I'm sure that none of you do it, but I do it. And you sit around and you question God. Why did this happen? And we just couldn't believe it. We're all sober. We're doing the deal. We're all active. What happened? How come this happened? And you see, my perception of reality was distorted. I just didn't see the truth. And today I know, in my heart of hearts, I know there are no negatives in God's world. It is just my perception that's negative. Because you see, the only way that we were going to be able to communicate with this little boy as a family is as if we learned a sign. And... Um, I learned to sign, my husband learned to sign, we all learned to sign because of this little boy, because we love this little boy. Well, you know, God takes everything and turns it into magic, just absolute magic. Do you have any idea how many deaf people are in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? I didn't. Never paid attention. Never even paid attention to how many deaf people are in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. By God's grace in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous and the lessons, the opportunities that we get in life to go learn. And as Dottie says, as we get to repeat for correction, I've had the opportunity to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to four deaf women. Having no idea, and I'm really slow, but they don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to them. They can understand me fine. I just have kind of a hard time sometimes understanding them. The miracle of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. In June, Ryan got a cochlear implant. And I talked to Ryan the other day on the phone, and he can hear me. And he says, Grandma, it's still a little garbled, but he can say it. The miracle of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. But see, we'll always have to sign, because there's going to be times when we can't wear the implant. I got a gift and didn't even know I was going to have one. Because now, thanks to Ryan, I speak another language. Always wanted to be bilingual. I just didn't know it was going to be sign language. <laughs> then we have Chris. And uh, Kelly was pregnant with Chris. And lo and behold, uh, they were getting ready to come to California because she'd had a child that was born with a birth defect. They wanted to run a test on her to see if there was anything wrong with the child she carried. And what they found out is she was in the late stages of nearly aborting this child. They did a surclage on her, put her to bed for five months, and now we have Chris. Now, there's not any way you can tell anybody in our family, if it hadn't been for Ryan's deafness, we wouldn't have Chris. And you see, God has always been performing those kind of miracles in our lives. But it's not until the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've been able to see them. And now we have Maddie, five little grandkids. I think they're all done. I think we're done. 
And I tell you, I've been babysitting those kids. I've done those three. I did them last summer. I'm going to do it this summer. I was knee-walking exhausted. That's why they let the kid, young people have kids. <clears throat> I hope you take this program and that you cherish it and you treat it as if your very life depends on it because it does. And if you see somebody new in the rooms, I don't know how you do it in Ohio, but in California, if you're a newcomer, for the first 30 days you have to stand up and say you're a newcomer. And uh, the way we do it in California, and I hope you'll do it, people are always going up to somebody saying, do you have a sponsor? Do you have a sponsor? When you walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, did you know what a sponsor was? Just go appoint yourself at them your sponsor. If they don't like you, they'll get somebody later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, but for the meantime... You need it worse than they do. And uh, that's what we do in our group. You know, boy, somebody new stands up, we're all on them like white on rice. You know, it's like, you got a sponsor, you got a sponsor, the poor little thing doesn't even know what hit her, you know. And uh, you don't have a sponsor, I miss. And uh, what they don't know is, is I need you worse than you need me. And because I need you to help me stay sober. And every time I get to work with somebody new, I get to go through the steps. That's what I get to do. So if you don't have that relationship, try it out. And I pray that everybody will treat this program just as it is. I don't think we need to change anything. I don't think we need to make anything gender specific or all that stuff. I'm, I'm so mad at feminists anyway. I mean, I just they took away all my good times. I have to work now for a living. I mean, I don't know about any of you, but I don't think it's fun at all. <laughs> And uh, I said, something's wrong with this picture, you know. I was supporting Dave. Uh, but at any rate, it's like I just feel like it's so important that we cherish this program. Because I want this program to be just like it was 23 years ago for me and 17 years ago for James. Because, you see, I think my grandson Ryan's going to need you. And I want to tell you a true story. And then I want to sit down. When Ryan was 18 months old, we needed to run some tests on him to see the degree of his deafness. And uh, we took him to the doctor, and they had to put him to sleep in order to do these tests. And they gave him the medication, and nothing happened. And they gave him the medication again, and nothing happened. And the third time, he went to sleep, and he woke up doing this. That's more in sign language. <laughs> Protect this program as if your very life depended on it. So it's here for your children and your grandchildren, just like it was here for you. All my life, if I just wanted to be loved and taken care of and all those things, and that's not what God gave me. He gave me a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and he says you will be accountable and responsible for all your actions past and present. And great events will come to pass. That's the great fact for us all. This afternoon I stand here. I don't know what self-esteem is. I know if you want to feel self-esteem, just do esteemable things. I don't know how to feel that all the time. When I start feeling like I don't have any self-esteem, I call somebody and see what I can do to help them. Like Frank says, you feel bad? Go find somebody to help. You'll feel better. And, uh, but the good news is, in the great events that's come to pass, 
as I have loved one man with all my heart for 20 years. And I have been faithful and true to that man. And I could never do that. And that's a great event that's come to pass. I am self-supporting through my own contribution. And I could never do that. And that's a great event that's come to pass. I know about commitment. You taught me about commitment. And whether you know it or not, it's the easier, softer way to be committed. Whether it's to another person, whether it's to your meetings, or whether it's to God. The easier, softer way is to be committed. And I didn't know about commitment. And today I do. And that's a great event that's come to pass. But the hardest thing I ever had, and the thing that always made me feel the worst, was that as a mom. Because I knew, and my children wore the scars of what it was like to have me for a mom. And a few years ago, my sons came to me and they said, Mom, you're the mom we always wanted you to be. And that's a great event that's come to pass. My son James called me yesterday and he said, Where are you off to this weekend, Mom? I said, I'm off to Dayton, Ohio. And he says, Well, I hope you have a lot of fun. He says, But most of all, will you tell those people in Dayton, Ohio, that your son James loves you? And that's a great event that's come to pass. God bless you. I love you too.